With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Ray Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm up the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, got a great podcast for you today. As Steve Buchanan, he does a great job over there at DraftKings. You may take a look at his Twitter feed and notice he is posting up the splits that we are seeing at DraftKings day in and day out on the MLB board when it comes to the percentage of handle, money, what have you that's coming in on all these baseball games. He also does that for the NFL. He's going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be taking a look at Tuesday's card. We're going to be taking a look at a couple of teams that we think are going to have a little bit of progression slash regression. We're also going to be talking about the effect of these sticky stuff being outlawed by the MLB on some of these pitchers as well. So we're going to have a great chat in the second segment. Then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this lovely Tuesday. And a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If you got one or two ways, we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean does not matter. The other way is via an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, but I do think that we had a very good Monday of baseball, especially with the fact that Jacob deGrom did not hurt. That's just good for baseball in general. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends in. Try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. As I just mentioned, very good that Jacob DeGrom did not wind up getting hurt in his start against the Mets, and he was able to make it. 
first game of the double dip between the Mets and the Braves wound up going to the Metropolitans by a count of 4-2. Jacob DeGrom, five scoreless settings. He looked terrific, obviously a little bit precautionary as to when he was taken out, but very good signs there. And for the Atlanta Braves, the start wound up going to Kyle Mueller, and he actually wasn't too bad. He gives up one run over the course of four innings, and then Shane Green, who's been terrible at the bullpen, now is at 1964 ERA. That is the year that my dad was born. When your ERA is the same number as the year that my dad was born, it's not going well for you. He winds up giving up three runs and two-thirds of an inning. Sean Newcomb gives you a third of an inning. And then you have Ty Tice coming for a scoreless inning. And for Ozzy Albies, he does wind up going deep off of Seth Lugo to give the Atlanta Braves a little bit of offense. 11th home run the season for Lugo. He gives up those two runs in an inning. And then Edwin Diaz is able to come in for the save. And for the Metropolitans, they go 2 of 8 with Ben in scoring position. So they were able to get the job done in Game 1. And then in Game 2, a rare Mets home loss. As this is the team with the best home winning percentage right now in baseball at 21-8. But for the Atlanta Braves, second time in two days that they win game two of a doubleheader by a count of one to zero. And for the Atlanta Braves, just like they did on Sunday, they win it based on a solo home run off of the bat of Ronald Acuna Jr. His 20th home run this season. Ian Anderson was terrific. Five and a third innings. Doesn't give up anything. A.J. Minter gives you two outs of the bullpen. Will Smith gets jiggy with it for a save. And for the Mets, I mean, Jared Eikhoff he gives you four scoreless innings. Miguel Castro comes out of the bullpen, gives up that solo run. Sean Reed Foley, Trevor May, they both give you a scoreless inning. But for the Mets, they get five hits in this one. They just weren't able to do anything with them. So that was a little bit of an interesting double dip. The Arizona Diamondbacks won a game. Someone call the papers. 5-1 to one the final. They take down the Milwaukee Brewers. As for the Brewers, Red Anderson... Not a good start in this one. He got four outs and he gave up three runs in the process. From there, the bullpen wasn't bad. Hobie Milner does give up two runs and two innings. New gentleman for the team, Jake Cousins, MLB debut. He winds up giving the team two scoreless innings. Hunter Strickland gives you a scoreless inning. Trevor Richards, one and two-thirds innings scoreless. But for the Brewers, worst batting average right now in the league, and it didn't get much better. They only get five hits off of Merrill Kelly, who throughout his career has always been better in Arizona rather than on the road. One run, give it up in seven innings. No Ramirez, Joaquin Soria, both give you a scoreless inning from there. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, six of 13 with men in scoring position. They had lost 17 straight games, so... Good to see them being able to get a W because nobody deserves to lose them all. The Baltimore Orioles might wind up losing them all at this point, though. 10-2, the Houston Astros wind up getting the W in this one. And for the Astros, only one home run. That comes off the bat of Jordan Alvarez, his 10th home run this season. Team goes 5-14 with men in scoring position. And Jake Odorizzi leaves this game after giving up no hits through five innings. He had a pitch count of 86, but gotta leave a guy in there when he's got no hits like that. Christian Javier from there, two scoreless innings. You wind up having Brandon Bielak give up two runs in an inning, but Brooks Raley was able to come in for a scoreless inning, and uh, this game was just never in danger. Keegan Aiken, he had a bad start for the Baltimore Orioles. Gives up five runs over the course of four innings. Trey Lincoln Sr. winds up giving up two runs in two and a third innings. Dylan Tate was able to give you two outside the bullpen. Cole Solzer, a scoreless inning, and then Max Grohler has not been having a good run of things. They were all under runs, but he gives up three runs in an inning. Now it's at 14.09 ERA. And the good news for the Baltimore Orioles, Mikel Franco got a home run off of Brighton and like His ninth home run of the season. Really the lone form of brightness for the Baltimore Orioles as they now find themselves at 23-49. and 49. So things are not going well. 
to put this into perspective, they were 15-16 and 16 when John Means wound up throwing that no-hitter. So ever since then, I believe that they are something like 8-23. and 23. So it's been a rough run for them. It's been a rough run for the Chicago Cubs recently. They have lost three out of their last four in their friendly confines. Get shut out by the Cleveland Indians. First time all year long, the Cubs wind up getting shut out at home. 4-0 to the final. Aaron Savali, he does not mind getting the win as he only goes four and two-thirds innings. Gives up three hits. No runs, though. Brian Shaw from there is able to give you four outs. Nick Whitgren, along with Emmanuel Clace, James Karinchek, I'll give you a scoreless setting up for the Cleveland Indians. Pair of home runs, Josh Naylor, sixth of the season. Bobby Bradley, his fifth, and he has come from out of nowhere to be able to be terrific for this team. Edward Elzelay, first start off the injured list, not necessarily as planned. He gives up both of those home runs, three runs in total over the course of four and two-thirds innings. From there, Keegan Thompson is able to give you four of the bullpen. Rex Brothers, Brad Weak both give you a scoreless setting, and Tommy Nance. Gives up a one run in one inning, so the Cubs pitching wasn't necessarily too bad. Nothing going with the bats, so the Texas Rangers got going with the bats. They wind up taking down the Oakland A's by a count of 8-3, to three, putting up a 5-spot in the first inning. One, Frankie Montas was terrific at home last year, terrible on the road. This year it was starting to be the opposite, but he had regression in him in a big way. He gives up all 8 runs in 5 and 2 thirds innings, including 2 home runs. From there, Cam Bedrosian gives you an out to be able to get out of the 6th inning. Diolius Carrera is able to give you a scoreless setting along Domingo Acevedo. I believe that that was his MLB debut for Mr. Acevedo. Hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. I apologize if I'm not. But for the Oakland A's, you were able to get a home run off the bat of Sean Murphy. His ninth of the season. That comes off of Kyle Gibson, who entered into this game with right around a 1-ish ERA at home. Gives up two runs in five and a third inning. So actually a below average start for him at home. Brett Martin, he gives up a unearned run out of the bullpen in an inning. But Julie Rodriguez, Ian Kennedy, they both give you a scoreless saying Josh Shorbich gives you two outs out of the bullpen and... For the Texas Rangers, you were able to get a pair of home runs. Jose Trevino was able to get his third home run of the season. And then you wind up getting the first home run of the season for Andy Ibanez. So the Texas Rangers able to get a rare win for them. This is something that is very rare as well. The LA Dodgers found themselves as an underdog and they wind up falling to the San Diego Padres. I have to have this posted up by Midnight Pacific, but as I'm doing this, Padres are up by kind of 6-1 going into the 8th inning for the LA Dodgers. Just not necessarily the world's greatest start for one. Julio Arias, he winds up giving up 6 runs and 4 innings. I will say, Phil Bickford was able to give the team 2 scoreless innings, and Buki Betts was able to get his ninth home run of the season. That comes off of one U Darvish, who Darvish, by the way, has made 4 career starts against the LA Dodgers. He has given up approximately 1 run in every one of them, going between 6 or 7 innings. And every one of those starts. And for the Padres, Fernando Tatis Jr. was in the starting lineup. He has not gotten a home run, but Manny Machado got his 11th home run of the season that comes off of Mr. Arias. And then Jay Cronenworth able to get his 9th home run of the campaign as well. And then to cap things off, the Minnesota Twins were able to get a rare extra inning win. 7-5, they wind up taking down the Cincinnati Reds in 12 innings, by the way. If you're looking at the Twins so far this year, they are now 4-8 and eight in extra inning games. So they had not been doing well prior to Monday as it was a Miguel Sano walk-off homer his 14th of the year that lifted them to victory for the Reds. They had to go deep in their bullpen. Tyler Molly, four innings pitch, gives up three runs. He punches out eight, but at the same time, he did give up a home run to Nelson Cruz for Cruz. That is his 16th home run the season. For the Twins, they wind up winning this game despite the fact that they left 18 men on base, by the way. And for the Reds, they were able to get a pair of home runs of their own. As Aristide Sakino was able to get his fourth home run of the season off of J.A. Hap, Hap Array, and Eugenio Suarez is 15th, also off of Hap. 
as for Happy, he was a little bit hapless in this game. Four two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs. But both bullpens from there were relatively solid. Luke Farrell winds up giving you four outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run. Caleb Fieldbar, five outs without giving up a run. Taylor Rogers, Alex Colomay both give you two-thirds of an inning. You do have Ode Alcala give up two runs, one of which was earned in extra innings in one inning. Matt Shoemaker, though, he comes in super long relief. Two scoreless to be able to get the win. And for the Reds, Josh Osage, two in the third inning scoreless. Brad Brock was able to give you a pair of outs. Art Warren and Amir Garrett were able to combine for a scoreless setting. Lucas Sims, a scoreless setting. Sean Doolittle, well, he's doing very little for you. A third of an inning gives up two runs, one of which was earned, but Ryan Hendricks was able to give you five outs out of the bullpen, and then Heath Embry winds up giving it up in the 12th inning, and we're going to be talking about this a little bit more with Steve Buchanan, but we are seeing a little bit of an uptick in overs if you're taking a look over the last three days, so this is a little bit more of a macro V. 192 and 183 is what overs are doing. That is a 51.2% clip. Favorites continue to be hot. Over the last three days, 242 and 147. That's 62.2% if you're looking over the last seven days. Home teams, 58 and 34 favorites. They're hitting at a 60.4% clip at 55 and 36 overs. 52 and 36, 59.1% in overall for the year. Overs and unders have not necessarily been too far apart. This is really the furthest I've seen it in quite a while. Overs, 523 and 507, 50.8% clip. Home teams overall for the season, you can tell that they're gaining more and more traction with more and more fans. Bag in the stands, 590 and 482, that's a 55% clip. And favorites, 618 and 444, 58.2% clip. So that's what we're all seeing in Major League Baseball right now and what we want to see. On Monday coming up next, let's talk to our good buddy with DraftKings, Steve Buchanan. He does a great job of being able to track where all the money is coming in. He does a great job of being able to handicap baseball as well. We're going to be taking a look at Tuesday's action, what the foreign substance policy might be doing with regards to his handicapping, and so much more. That is on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here, love you, Las Vegas, for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest. This man joined me, I would say, three, maybe four weeks ago, and he did a great job the last time he joined me, so figured we'd bring him back, as it is Steve Buchanan. He does a great job with Bre- he does a great job with DraftKings. He's mostly an MLB and NFL analyst for them, but he does a great job breaking down a little bit of everything you're able to see. A lot of the splits are coming in at DraftKings because he winds up tweeting those out so you can see exactly where the money's going. You're seeing exactly who's betting on what. So he does a great job of being able to provide that as a helpful resource. And he's a guy that he posts up a lot of plays and they've been doing quite well this year themselves as it is Steve Buchanan joining me and you're able to follow him on Twitter at SBuchanan24. Last name is spelled B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N. And Steve, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, Greg here, like you said a couple of weeks ago, get the quick invite back. So that's always a good sign. So I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Whenever we find a good guest, we've got to try to get them back. And you <laughs> certainly fit the bill on that. So I really do appreciate it. And I do appreciate what we've all been seeing this baseball season. But I do think that it's going to be very fascinating to see things moving forward with the crackdown on these foreign substances with pitchers. We saw, heck, even yesterday, Jacob deGrom was getting checked when he was coming off the field, obviously. He passed inspection. If he would have failed that, I think that we really would have been in some deep doo-doo with that regard. But I think it's going to be really interesting looking at this. And I don't necessarily think that we're going to see a bunch of overs 
come in as a result of this. I think that if we're going to see more overs, it's really going to be more due to ballpark factors, due to bullpens just stinking in general, things like this. I just don't know if this is really going to have much of an impact because I was taking a look at a lot of the foreign substances that are being used. And a lot of these have just come onto the market within the last few years, like spider tech and what have you. It's not like you're seeing a bunch of these substances that they've been around since 1937 or anything like that. So I do think that this is a case in which could we see more overs in, say, June and July? Absolutely. I don't necessarily think that it's going to be because of this foreign substance crackdown, though. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, too. I think it is notable, too, because at least from the season standpoint, the over-under is almost 50-50. It's been dead even almost all season long. And you look at the short-term numbers, like over the past week, the overs have been up about 5%. So that is a bit of a significant number. But at the same time, we're also starting to get into summer. We're starting to get into those hot weather games. And obviously, that is more of something that affects hitting in a positive sense there, too. So the timing is a bit odd, too, as well. But you know, we might see some regression with some of these pitchers that maybe have been pitching over their head a little bit. Obviously, we all heard about Tyler Glass on how he was very upset about this. And quite frankly, rightfully so. I mean, you're telling somebody to, you know, kind of change the way he's been doing things all throughout his career and saying, you know, this is no longer acceptable. You know, they just kind of threw on them immediately. So it's going to be interesting to see how some of these pitchers adapt. The numbers are going to be scrutinized one way or another over the next few weeks because June 21st is really the day they said they were going to start, you know, really kind of put the hammer on this. So really yet to be seen, but no matter how the numbers go, they're going to be scrutinized one way or another. I'm right there with you. I think that there's a lot of people that if you don't wind up seeing a bunch of overs come in, it's because, oh, the bookmakers over adjusted. If you wind up <laughs> seeing a bunch of overs come in, oh, bookmakers didn't adjust for it, but I mean, you just laid it out. The overs and unders are pretty close to 50-50. We've seen, I think, going into Monday, something like 50.6, 50.7% of games going over, which that's a pretty good split when you take a look at the season. These guys are setting the lines. They certainly know what they're doing, as we do have Steve Buchanan joining me on the podcast. And I feel like I know what I'm doing with this one by saying that the Arizona Diamondbacks are not necessarily good at baseball. I don't think that it takes a rocket scientist to... Make that statement, and if you've been betting against them, it's been going very well for you. Brewers versus Arizona Diamondbacks is going to be going down on Tuesday, and I'm very intrigued by the total of 8.5 because Freddie Peralta is going to be going for the Milwaukee Brewers. He has allowed two earned runs or fewer in eight out of his last nine starts. He has been masterful, and he's going up against a guy in Zach Allen that his last time out was sort of his first start in quite a while, but he throughout his career has been very solid. He's been one of really the lone bright spots for the Arizona Diamondbacks the last couple of years. And I take a look at a total of eight and a half. You've got an Arizona Diamondbacks team that they just can't get out of their own way at this point. And a Milwaukee Brewers team that enters into the series dead last in the big leagues when it comes to batting average. And I think that this eight and a half is a good spot to take a look at the under. I know that Zach Allen has sort of been in the crosshairs a little bit with the 60... With the sticky substance, he's sort of beginning, I guess you could call it for lack of a better term, called out without necessarily being named. But I do think that this is a spot in which we're going to see runs at a premium in this one. I agree, too. Like, you look at the numbers for Freddie Peralta. Like, you know, ever since he really kind of introduced something else other than a fastball, because when he first came up to the league, he was, like, throwing his fastball almost 70% of the time the first couple of years. Like, it was just like, that's all he had. Then he starts implementing some off-speed stuff, and it really seems like he's turned a corner since he's started doing that. And over the season, he hasn't allowed more than two runs 
in all but two of his starts this season. Like, he has just been extremely good. Now he's going up against his Diamondbacks team, who you mentioned is, like, historically bad at this point. Like, it's unbelievable how many games they just continue to lose. And it's not like they're not scoring. I mean, they're not scoring a ton. But they just can't get it done in the plate, like you were saying, too. And then you look at Zach Gallon. I like I was a big fan of Zach Allen, you know, even when he was back in the Miami system. I think he's got some really, really good stuff there. But unfortunately, he's on the Diamondbacks. So that doesn't really get him a lot of positive attention. But, you know, he's been okay. He's got some really good strikeout stuff, which is really unfortunate because, like I said, he's on such a bad team. But when Zach Gallen has been on the mound, which hasn't been a lot this year, He's been good enough. So you mix that in with Peralta, and it's really not like the Brewers are a big, heavy-hitting team to begin with anyways. So I do agree with you. I think the under is definitely the play in this one. And then we've got a game in which currently there are no numbers as we are doing this podcast, but right now it looks like the San Diego Padres are going to be going with Blake Snell. This is a little bit subject to change, but if they do wind up going with Blake Snell, I think that this is going to be an interesting game because, for one, Dodgers versus Padres just this year has been magnificent. Whether you're betting on it, whether you're just watching casually, this has been thoroughly entertaining. But I take a look at Blake Snell, and I don't know if I've ever seen splits like this. He's got a buck 65 ERA at home, giving up less than a home run per nine innings. Opponents earning a buck 60 off of him. On the road, opponents earning north of a 320, and he's got north of a 10 ERA. Now, there are demonstrative home and road splits, and then there's Blake Snell's 2021 season. If it does wind up being Snell, how would you be taking a look at this game? Because the way that I look at it right now, anytime that Blake Snell's away from San Diego, you want absolutely no part of him. But when he is in San Diego, he's been relatively solid. Obviously, a guy that is probably not going to give you a ton of innings. He's typically going to give you five, if you're lucky, six innings, but also backed up by a really good bullpen. So the amazing thing about this game, too, and let's just talk about this division real quick. If there's a team that you're going to fear to face if you're a lefty, it's not either of these teams, at least as of right now. It's actually the Giants. The Giants are the team that you fear in the NL West if you're a left-handed pitcher. Both the Dodgers and Padres, I think it's safe to say they have been vastly underperforming against lefties. This has been going on with the Dodgers almost all season long. They only have a 308 Wolver against them, a 169 isolated power. The Padres, not much better. 296 Wolver, 135 isolated power for them. Neither of these teams strike out a ton against lefties, but... Yeah, when you talk about Blake Snell, his advanced numbers back up how bad he is. He has a 5.72 ERA. His expected ERA is 5.30. When they're that close, like that really kind of tells you that like he's not just getting unlucky or anything. He's actually pitching as bad as we've seen. And we've seen the walks rise dramatically. This is somebody who's never had great control. Blake Snell's not somebody you go out there and see pinpoint control with. But at least over the past few years, His walks were about three per inning. He's up at almost five and a half right now. And putting men on base is what's absolutely killing him. He's only stranding 68% of the runners that he puts on base. He's been in the high 80s throughout his career. So he is way, way off from where he is. You know, we have two offenses that aren't really performing well against lefties. So this is a tough one. Obviously, we don't have the numbers yet because we don't know if it is Snell. I would probably lean more towards the Dodgers team total than probably taking the game over in this one, just because if these two teams can't hit lefties like they have, you know, you might be struggling to hit that over, whatever it ends up being. So I'd feel more comfortable taking the over on the Dodgers team total, because if they can get to Blake Snell, they'll get to that bullpen early. But if they're getting to that bullpen early, that means they've already done the damage to Blake Snell. So I'd probably side with the Dodgers team total on this one and stay away from the game total overall. 
And there's just so many ways that you can play it as well, because if you do wind up taking like a first five in Snell versus Clayton Kershaw, you're able to take out the bullpen. But at the same time, you know that that is going to be a super low total and one error could wind up costing you a first five under as well. So there is certainly that little bit of a dice roll that you wind up playing in that regard as well. So it is going to be very fascinating if it does wind up being Snell versus Kershaw on Tuesdays. We do have Steve Buchanan, does a great job with the DraftKings, joining me on the podcast. And I'm so glad that you wanted bringing up the San Francisco Giants because I have no idea what it's going to take for this team to be able to get some respect because they're on the road <laughs> facing off against the LA Angels. And the Angels are throwing out their Andrew Heaney, who's given up about a home run and a half for nine innings. It's not necessarily been too terrific. And they're a minus 120 favorite against the San Francisco Giants. Every single week, I see it on sports gambling networks. I see it on just regular sports talk in general. Everyone keeps saying the Giants are going to regress. The Giants are not necessarily this good. And every single week, they just continue to be towards the top of the major leagues when it comes to record. They just continue to put together win after win. Anthony DiScalfani is going to be going for the Giants. He has been a tremendous find for them this offseason. And I take a look at it, and I just got to keep riding the Giants until further notice. Might there be a little bit of regression with them? Sure, but when you wind up betting on regression and it keeps on not coming, do you really celebrate that one win if you took like five losses in order to get that one win? <laughs> I don't think so. So this is a spot in which I'm just going to continue to back the Giants until further notice. I mean, we keep talking to your point, too. We keep saying, oh, the Giants are going to regress. The Giants are going to regress. We're heading into July, and they're still in first place over in the NL West. Like, nobody drew it up like this. And that's the beauty of baseball because there's still a ton of season left. But at least what we've seen from the Giants has just been downright amazing. I mean, everybody in that rotation, if you looked at that rotation, let's say February 1st, you'd go, this rotation's not going to go anywhere. But for whatever reason, whatever's happening over in San Francisco, they've turned these mediocre pitchers into legit like frontline starters, at least for this team so far. I mean, what they've done with Alex Wood, they've done with Di like it's just been absolutely amazing. And if there's going to be regression, it's probably not going to come in this series against the Angels. I hate to break it to everybody there. And then, you know, we talk about Andrew Heaney, who continues to have trouble with the home run ball. And like we just talked about, he's a lefty. So with the Giants going up against the lefty, that always poses an issue. And it doesn't help either that the Angels' bullpen has been extremely overworked over the past week. Over the past week, they have thrown 27 in a third innings, 4.05 FIP, a 6.5 walks over nine innings. That is not what you want to see when you're facing a team that is playing as well like the Giants are right now. So I don't think this is going to be the series where the Giants start to regress. They do go to the American League ballpark, so they will get the DH as well, which is always helpful for those National League teams. I like the Giants in this spot. I like the Giants on a series line too as well, because quite frankly, you know, the the Angels are going downhill where the Giants are in in a complete different spectrum than they are. Yep, I am in total agreement with you there, Steve. I do like the Giants in this spot. I like the Giants in the series. So we are in lockstep on that one. And Something that I think is going to be very interesting as well, because we do have quite a few interleague games that are going on these next few days, is this game that's going to be going out there in Detroit. Now, typically, I don't necessarily say that because the Detroit Tigers have been terrible, but you've got a guy in Yohan Oviedo. It just feels like the Cardinals can't get a whole lot of wins whenever he's on the mound. When he's been on the mound the last two years, the team is 2-11 and in games that he pitches in. Now, they were able to win the last one, but that's because of Miami Marlins wound up benching pretty much every one of their starters. And the B team of the Miami Marlins still very nearly wound up getting the win. Meanwhile, you've got Tariq Skubal, 
who's going to be going for the Detroit Tigers. And Scuba wound up having a little bit of a rough go of it to be in the year. But I take a look at what he's been able to do recently, and I've been thoroughly impressed. He and Casey Mice have really been able to come along for the ride. You can tell the fact that they wound up being able to get some reps last season has been very big. This is a guy that's given up more than three earned runs just once ever since the beginning of May. I take a look at this one. I'm seeing the Cardinals as a little bit of a favorite. And if you're ever going to find an opportunity to be able to take a shot on the Tigers, this might wind up being it. The Tigers are such a hard team to figure out because they've been going on like these little mini bursts every once in a while where like they rub, they rope off like three or four wins and then they just absolutely plummet. Like it's been so difficult to figure out. And, you know, obviously taking them as an underdog, you're going to get some, you know, decent numbers on them too. But you look at their overall numbers as underdogs, you know, 26 and 37, obviously not that great. So not, not anything that jumps out at you, you know, to kind of pounce on there. 11 and 14 as home underdogs as well. So a little bit better there, but nothing crazy. On the other side of the ball, the Cardinals have also been kind of a hard team to figure out. They have some really bad numbers against lefties. And like you mentioned, you know, Scooble had a really rough start to the season. That's kind of straightened out ever since. He got a little bit lucky in that start against the Royals. He had a 4.5 out ERA in that game at a 6.17 fifth, which obviously is a little bit of a difference there. So it kind of indicates that he got a little lucky in that one. But you look at the numbers really since the middle of May, and they've been really, really good. So you go up against a Cardinals team that has mediocre at best numbers against lefties. And I feel like the line is correct being as close as it is because I don't really lean to any side on this one. I actually kind of like this as a player prop game. There's some games that I like to target, like just specifically for props. Like I'd be interested to see Scoobles over under on this case for this one, because while the Cardinals don't strike out a ton, Scoobles have been putting up some really solid strikeout numbers, striking out over a batter and inning so far this season. But this is kind of a tough game for me. I don't really have a solid lean on this one. So I think I'd probably be looking at the player props in this one. But if I had to choose a side on this one, I would agree with you. I think this is a good spot to get some underdog money on the Tigers. Absolutely. And if you're out there on the East Coast, you're able better to place like DraftKings do take advantage of those player props because there can be a lot of money to be made, especially if you're betting the NBA playoffs. Let me tell you, unders, <laughs> you're able to find a lot of money there because we know that like everyone and their brother piles in on the over. I don't understand why. Because we all know that the public is going to bet the over. We all know that the bookmakers have to shade it up. As a result, people just keep taking the over. And I always think that there's just so much value on the under personally. But that's my philosophy as we do have Steve Buchanan joining me on the podcast. And Steve, just taking a look at the board for Tuesday, is there anything else that really jumps out to you? Whether it be a side, total, couple player props, what have you. Anything that you're really going to be targeting when it comes to the Tuesday MOB betting board? I'm absolutely going to be taking the first five over in the Rocky-Seattle game. Kyle Freeland has taken the mound. He came back from injury. And let me tell you, he's not doing the Rockies any favors by being on the mound so far this season. It's been an extremely rough go for him and he's just somebody to target against until he kind of writes the ship at this point and you know maybe people aren't excited to be going on the Mariners side but you look at how poorly Freeland has been pitching I mean since it came back near the end of May he's allowed at least five runs in three of his last four games it's been a really tough rough time for them and the Mariners are all of a sudden hitting pretty well I like them way in the beginning of the season to like to win the AL West as a total long shot Probably not going to win that bet, 
but at least they're doing something offensively to give me some glimmer of hope. So I do like the Mariners in that spot as well. Also going to be looking at the first half over in that Red Sox-Tampa Bay game uh, situation of just a target against Eduardo Rodriguez, lefty going against the Rays. Not a matchup you want to target if you're Eduardo Rodriguez. But something is up with him. I know, obviously, I think we even talked about it on the pod before. He had the COVID issue during the offseason, which led to some heart issues. So he just hasn't been the same so far. But I think the Red Sox and Rays and then the Rockies and Mariners are going to be two good games to target first half over. Yep. And with the Seattle Mariners, I do think that there's going to be a regression to their 38-36 and 36 record. You just don't see teams with a winning record with a negative 46 run differential. That's pretty wild. Well. <laughs> and with that said as well, I don't think it's going to be coming in this series against a Rockies team that is 5-27 and 27 on the road so far this year. I mean, that is really hard to do. And it's really hard to put out as much great content as Steve does. But you do an absolutely terrific job, my friend. You do a nice job of being able to take a look, mainly at the MLB and NFL for DraftKings. But I know you do a wide variety of things. You do a great job of being able to post up where the money is going, a lot of the splits when it comes to these MLB, NFL games, list goes on and on. So love the good people at home. Know they're able to follow you on social media. I know that you've got a lot of written and on-air work as well. So just let the good people at home know they're able to get a hold of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So on Twitter, SBuchanan24, that is my main spot where I post all the splits, like you mentioned, where all the money goes. And then you can actually catch me giving out some plays on MLB Network, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I always make an appearance on MLB Central. Love all the people over there. Usually in the 12 o'clock hour, that's where I want to shoot there. But uh, that's where I land a lot as well. So make sure to catch me on there and uh, on Twitter as well. And Steve doing an absolutely terrific job. A great resource if you're taking a look at just where things are flowing in general with a lot of the money in these baseball games. That's really been the main thing that he's been posting up right now. Obviously, you've got the NBA postseason going on as well. And he does a great job of being able to follow so many different things. And has joined me now multiple times on the podcast. I'm sure that this won't be the last time. So big thanks to Steve Buchanan for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Tuesday. And a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Great to get Steve Buchanan aboard. Does a terrific job over there with DraftKings, mainly doing their MLB and NFL coverage, but does a wide variety of things. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Tuesday and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do not that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation, or this is where we go National League games first, then the American League games, and then Interleague games are going to be on the bottom end. We've got a lot of interleague games, so if you're wondering why these games aren't necessarily in time order, that is why. So we're going to have a good old time of it as we do begin with the first National League game, 951-952 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals at the road face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Whelan and Dylan Wheeler is going to be on the bump for the Philadelphia Phillies. Meanwhile, 
Good old To Be Determined is going to be on the bump for our good buddies and Nationals, which is why this is a game that is presently off the board. It was looking like Max Scherzer at first. Looks like he is on the injured list right now, so we could get just about anything from the Washington Nationals. I know that Pelo Espeno has been getting a couple starts for this team. You could go with Austin Volth, someone who's been able to give this team a couple innings. He has been utilized for a couple starts along Jeffrey Rodriguez. Rodriguez, I believe, wound up making a start about a week or so ago against the San Francisco Giants. Gave the team four strong, so you gotta figure that it's gonna be one of those three guys, and I would fully expect two of those guys winding up pitching in this game. One of the guys being a starter and one of the guys being more of a reliever, but for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is a bunch in which they've been able to do their best work at home. This is a team that, at home, they have been absolutely sterling with a record this year of 21-12, and 13-23 on the road. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Washington Nationals, 21-18 and 18 at home, 12-18 and 18 on the road. So, you've got those splits going on, and with the Washington Nationals, how about Kyle Schwarber? Five home runs and eight RBI in his last two games. He has been on absolute fire for this team. Trey Turner down for what? He has been able to give you a right around 315-ish batting average, double-digit amount of homers. Juan Soto needs to pick it up with the power. He's got eight home runs and nearly 200 at bats, so that's a little bit surprising, but he does have a 400 on base. Josh Harrison has been able to get on along Victor Robles. Both of these guys right around a 340 on base, and then when you take a look at the Philadelphia Phillies, Odubo Herrera has actually been able to do a very good job for this team. He's going to get two 50. Bryce Harper has been a little bit banged up all year long, but he's still giving you right around a 385 on base. Power numbers are a little bit down, but that's why you've got Reese Hoskins along JT Riumito. Riumito was able to get a nice home run in that series against the San Francisco Giants, a guy that has an on base percentage hovering right around a 400. Hoskins has 15 bombs so far this year. He's got right around a 310 on base, so that has been solid. And then Andrew McCutcheon, though the batting average is at a 230, 343 on base, and for the Philadelphia Phillies, it feels like the bullpen just pitches better. Whenever they're out there in Philadelphia, Hector Neris has been much better in Philadelphia than he has been on the road recently. You can say the same for guys like Sam Coonrod. Archie Bradley has been able to pick it up as well. And then you take a look at the Washington Nationals. Bullpen has not been terrible. You've got Kyle Finnegan being able to give you a couple innings. Like I said, probably going to be a little bit of a wholesale approach for this team, but you have been able to get some good innings out of Brandon as well in the ninth whenever the team has a lead. But for Zach Wheeler, I think that he's going to come out. I think that he's going to be able to dominate. You take a look at what he's been able to do this year. Right around 11.2-ish punch-outs per nine innings. A guy that is allowing .6 home runs per nine, two walks per nine. He has been absolutely dominant. Has given up two runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. And he's really been at his best at home as well. This is someone that, when you take a look at the home ERA, it's a buck seventy. He has allowed opponents at a one sixty-five out there in Philadelphia. So this is a total in which I would think that I'd be taking the over if it's a 7.5 or lower, 8 or higher. Going to be taking a look at the under end. I'll probably be saying the Phillies as a relatively sizable favorite and would probably be taking a look at even money on the run line if it winds up being someone like a Jeffrey Rodriguez and Austin Volth, what have you, but we need to know a little bit more of the plan for the Washington Nationals, so check back in the morning my Twitter feed at Jaren's41 once we know a little bit more there. 953-954 on the betting board. The New York Metropolitans are going to be playing us the Atlanta Braves. Charlie Morton is going to be going for the Braves. Marcus Roman is going to be on the bump for the Metropolitans who are finding themselves as slight favorites here. You're going to be getting them in between 
between a minus 109 and a minus 113. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Bravos, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a minus 110 and a plus 103. Your total is anywhere between a 7 and 7.5. With the 7 overs, anywhere between minus 120, minus 125. The unders, anywhere between even a plus 105 on the 7.5. Unders, anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. Overs, anywhere between even and plus 105. And when you take a look at the Metropolitans, they certainly have been a team that has been so much better at home than they have been on the road so far this year. Best win percentage of any team at home so far this campaign, and this is a team in which they were able to get five strong out of Jacob deGrom in that first start of their double dip yesterday, which was big because he was dealing with a couple of injury concerns, and Marcus Stroman has really been the workhorse for this team all year long, right around 2.1 walks per nine innings. He hasn't necessarily been a swing and miss guy, right around eight strikeouts per nine innings, but at home, 202 ERA. He has allowed two home runs in 35 and two-thirds innings, so he's been rock solid there, and then for the Atlanta Braves, this is a team that I'm a little bit bearish on at this point. You take a look at what they've been able to do on offense going into game two of that double dip. This is a bunch that they had scored a grand total of four runs in their last three games. Now, those are seven inning games, so a little bit of a grain of salt there, but you take a look at Ronald Acuna Jr. He's been amazing. 400 on base. He's a gentleman that has been able to supply 19 home runs. Slugging percentage right around a 600. Ozzy Albies actually has a 500 slugging percentage. He's now got like a 325 on base, 255 batting average. Abraham Almonte also hitting right around a 255. He's been able to reach base. Austin Riley has been able to do a good job with his 360 on base. And Freddie Freeman, he's had a nice last couple weeks as well. He's now been able to provide the team 16 home runs, 40 RBI, 355 on base. Sandy Swanson and William Contreras in between a 230 and 240 is a little bit tough, but both of these guys have a little bit of pop in the bat, and Guillermo Redia has been good, but with the Atlanta Braves as well, this is a team in which they did wind up having to use up their bullpen a little bit in game one of the doubleheader. You wind up having to use up Shane Green along with Sean Newcomb. They wind up picking up Ty Tice, who was with the Blue Jays earlier in the year, which I think is clearly a panic move because A.J. Minter has an ERA that's hovering right around five for this team. Tyler Mazik has been up and down all year long as well, and then you take a look at the Mets, you've been able to get some very good innings out of guys like Miguel Diaz. Trevor May has actually been halfway solid. Seth Lugo is someone that wanted pitching yesterday, so probably not going to be seeing him, but I do like what I'm getting out of the Mets bullpen, and this is a bunch in which Pete Alonso has been able to hit a double-digit amount of home runs for, despite the fact that he's been a little bit banged up all year long. A lot of guys hitting between, I would say, about a 235 and a 250. Jeff McNeil is now back for this team. That is massive. You've got James McCann, Thomas Nito, Kevin Pilar, Pete Alonso, I mentioned a little bit earlier, Tom Smith, and Jonathan VR. Francisco Lindor just has not necessarily panned out so far this year. He's been a little bit better recently, but still, this is a gentleman that you take a look at him in the month of June, heading into game two of that double dip. He's now waiting for the month right around a 275, so things are starting to get a little bit better, but still, you expect a little bit more out of him, but when you take a look at Charlie Morton and how he's been able to perform on the road, it has not necessarily been too tremendous, and he's really lucky to have a 6-3 and three record. He's Posted up a 403 ERA. Home runs per nine is not necessarily too high. It's right around 0.9, but he has been giving up a little bit more than three walks per nine innings. And you take a look at him on the road so far this year 428 ERA in 27 and a third innings. He has been able to get right around 29 punch shots, but also right around four walks per nine innings. So this is a spot in which I did wind up making the Mets a little bit more of a sizable favorite. So we're going to be having a little bit of a take there. And when it comes to the total, I do think that it's interesting because the Mets are still dealing with injuries, but at the same time, 
They are getting a little bit more healthy as well. I personally wound up setting it at 7.8. So this is the spot in which I'm going to be landing on the over to go along with the Metropolitans. We move on to 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board, which is the New York Post play of the day as we've got the Milwaukee Brewers in the road face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Zach Allen is going to be going for the D-backs. Freddie Peralta is going to be on the bump for the Brewers. Brewers are finding themselves as favorites here anywhere between minus 143 and minus 150. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price here with Arizona, that's anywhere between plus 130 and plus 138. Your total is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. On the 8th, that is at Circa. Over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Mostly seen 8.5. So, with the 8.5, the over is anywhere between minus 115 and even. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. I want to say this total personally at 7.3. So, whether you've got 8 or 8.5, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the under. That is a New York Post play today because you've got a Milwaukee Brewers team that entering into this series dead last when it comes to batting average. We were talking about this with Steve Buchanan a little bit earlier. You just haven't been able to get a lot of traction when it comes to this lineup and then they're going up against a guy in Zach Gallon who in 33 career starts has allowed three earned runs or fewer in 29 of them. He does have a tendency to walk guys right around 3.8 walks per nine innings but has done a good job of being able to limit the deep ball. He wound up just coming off the injured list, wound up having a little bit of a rough first start coming off the injured list but now I think that he has his feet underneath him for lack of a better term, he should be able to gain a little bit more traction, and you've got an Arizona Diamondbacks lineup that, let's face it, it's not great, but at the same time, you have been able to get Joe Monopoly going a little bit more. He has certainly been a hit-or-miss guy, but he seems to be lowering his ERA a little bit. Walking story is absolutely terrible. Riley Smith has been able to give you a couple good innings out of the bullpen, though, and they are trying to, at the very least, light a little bit of a fire underneath some of these guys with Noah Ramirez coming in, and for the Milwaukee Brewers, you've got Devin Williams along Josh Hader. These guys have been absolutely tremendous and you know who else has been tremendous? Freddie Peralta. Among starters out there in the National League with the qualifying amount of innings, fewest hits allowed per nine innings, most strikeouts per nine innings. He is a guy that is going to walk right around three and a half per nine innings, but still, you take a look at it. He has given up two runs or fewer in really eight out of his last nine starts, and he's facing off against an Arizona lineup that they are getting a little bit more healthy. You've got his Rubel Cabrera back in the fold. He's a guy that's hitting right around at 245 ever since he's come off the injured list. Been a little bit of a hot mess. Christian Walker has been banged up all year long. He's hitting at the Mendoza line. Now, Josh Reddick, Baven Smith, these guys are hitting right around at 275, and Ketel Marte, the Marte Parte, hitting a 360 for the team, so that's been solved, but with Eduardo Escobar on the fold yesterday, they had nobody in the lineup with a double-digit amount of homers, and Josh Rojas, his nine home runs, that was by far the most. Nobody else in the lineup had more than five, so that's tough, and for the Milwaukee Brewers, I mean, this is a team that they just need to find anyone to be able to put back to ball, getting back. Colton Wong is nice for the team. He's hitting at 285. And Omir Nervais, hitting at 300 is great, but Christian Yelich, three home runs and 124 at-bats. I recognize a 400 on base, but man, that's tough. Obviously, Garcia has been able to give you 13 home runs, but William Thomas, he's been able to be solid. Luis Odias is able to give you a dab, but it's something with guys like Jackie Bradley Jr., Manny Pino, the list goes on and on. Of guys that are not necessarily producing for the team, I think that's going to be a very low-scoring game, but I mean, can we really take the Arizona Diamondbacks here? Heading into this series, losers of 40 out of their last 45 games. And when you take a look at the Brewers in this spot, the run line price I'm seeing with them is a very small plus one. I'm going to just wind up taking the money line because the Arizona Diamondbacks actually entering into Monday had covered the run line in five out of their last eight games. I believe that they are 2-16 and 16 on the year in one-run games, so they've actually played a lot of run one-run games, but they haven't necessarily prevailed with them, and I think that Zach Gallon is going to be able to keep them close. So we're going to be taking the Brewers on the money line in this spot, and then the New York Post later today is the under. 957-958 on the betting board. The Slam Diego Padres are going to be playing against the LA Dodgers. 
One Clayton Kershaw is going to be going for the Dodgers. For the Padres, I am seeing on ESPN Blake Sell. Betting boards have yet to confirm this, so this is a game that is presently off the board. But assuming that this is Blake Snell versus Clayton Kershaw, I wound up setting Blake Snell and the Padres as a plus 121 underdog. I also wound up setting the total at 7.3. I was running through these splits with our good buddy Steve. Buck 65 ERA for Blake Snell. Opponents are a buck 60 off of him whenever he's in San Diego. On the road, ERA north of 10. Opponents are a 3.20 off of him. It is absolutely insane. And then you take a look at Clayton Kershaw. He's actually allowing less hard contact whenever he's on the road than he is at home. In his last 14 home starts, he has allowed 20 homers. You take a look at what he's been able to do on the road so far this year. 3.76 ERA, but he's allowed one home run in 38 and a third inning. So I actually find that to be very fascinating. And you've got a Dodgers team of which you've got a lot of converted starters who are coming out of the bullpen for this team. Gentlemen like Jimmy Nelson, David Price have been able to give you a tad bit of something. I do like what you're getting out of Blake Tryon and Victor Gonzalez has actually been very good out of the bullpen, right around a 235 ERA. And then with the Padres, they have used their bullpen more than really any other team out there in the National League, but these guys have been very good. Tim Hill, someone like a Mark Melanson have been able to come in, give you good innings. Lake Craig Salmon has been solid. Emilio Pagan is giving you good innings. The big fear with the Padres of Fernando Tatis Jr. being out of the fold. A gentleman that is able to give you 22 home runs. He wound up playing yesterday, but as we know, he has been in and out of the fold pretty much all year long, so you do want to be monitoring that situation, and that's big because Manny Machado is really the only other guy on the Padres with a double-digit amount of homers, and Manny Machado has been able to come along for the ride, and a lot of these guys earning in that pocket of between a 250 and a 255 grade on base percentages. Will Myers, Manny Machado, Tommy Pham, all in that full. Jay Cronenworth is hitting a 280 for the team as well. Trent Gershom is off the injured list, so that's going to be giving them a tad bit of support. And for the Dodgers, you've just got a bunch of guys that have right around a 325 or greater on base. You don't necessarily have that one guy that's hitting for a bunch of bombs. Justin Turner down for what? Leading the way with 12 home runs, but it just seems like everyone on this team is hitting between like a 265 and a 275. Matt Beattie, Will Smith, Chris Taylor, Zach McKinstry, list goes on and on. So it has been absolutely tremendous to be able to take a look at that. And I do think that this is going to be a great series in general. Like I said, if it does wind up being Mr. Clayton Kershaw against Blake Snell, I'm going to be setting it as the Dodgers, a minus 121 favorite. And the total at 7.3. So a 7 or lower would be taking a look at the over 7.5 or higher would be taking a look at the under. And if we wind up seeing someone other than Blake Snell, check back in the morning my Twitter feed at JarenScore41 and I'll be noting that. 959-960 on the betting board. The New York Yankees are going to be playing us the Kansas City Royals. Brady Singer is going to be going for the Royals. Garrett Cole is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. The Yankees are finding themselves as favorites in this spot. Anywhere between minus 265 and minus 280. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Royals, anywhere between plus 230 and plus 240, and your total on this game is 8. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. And certainly going to be an interesting spot. I do feel like Garrett Cole should be a sizable favorite here, but I wound up saying Garrett Cole as a favorite of right around a minus 234. So you wind up taking a look at the run line in this spot. Currently, the Yankees anywhere between minus 130 and minus 140. I was willing to take a run line here of up to right around a minus 140. So this is going to be a play on the Yankees run line. I do think that Garrett Cole is going to come out and dominate a Royals team that they were able to get a couple wins over the Boston Red Sox, but you can tell that this is a team in which things have not necessarily been going tremendously for them. And then when you take a look at Brady Singer, I do think that it's going to be very fascinating to see what we're able to get out of him because this is someone that 
he hasn't been great. He hasn't necessarily been awful, but at the same time, he is someone that he's given up a lot of walks, right around four walks per nine innings. His home runs per nine is right around a .7, but 476 ERA, 3-5 record. You take a look at what he's been able to do on the road, 560 ERA compared to a 420, so that is going to be a tad bit of an issue. And then you take a look at Garrett Cole. He is right now, even without the sticky substance, being able to get guys out. He and seven starts at home so far this year. Opponents are hitting at 205. He's given up less than a home run per nine, and he's less than two walks per nine. And for the Yankees, this has been an unbalanced lineup all year long. The top has been able to hold up their end of the bargain. The bottom certainly has not been able to. Aaron Judge has been able to give you right around 15 home runs. He's got a 390 on base. DJ LeMay has been able to hit right around a 260 along Giancarlo Sainz. Gleyber Torres hitting more around a 250. And then if you have Miguel Andujar sitting right around 245, but Chris Gittens, Clint Frazier, Kylie Gashioka, these guys not necessarily been too terrific, though. I will say Gary Sanchez starting to pick it up. He's hitting a 240 with right around a 340 on base and has been able to give you some power, so that has been good news for this team. And then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals. Their catcher, Salvador Perez, has been absolutely tremendous. 18 home runs, 47 RBI, 290 batting average. You can also tell what he's been able to do with his pitching staff as well. Josh Shaman has been solid out of the bullpen. Jake Brent, Scott Barlow. Have both been solid. Even Carlos Hernandez has been able to come in as a long reliever, but then you take a look down the line. Calvin Gutierrez, Michael A. Taylor, these guys are now hitting at 230. Hunter Dozier is hitting a buck 60, and Orde Soler still suck on six home runs. This is someone that had 48 in 2019. I keep saying it on the podcast, but man, this guy's not turning it around. But Nicky Lopez along with Enzo Alberto, both in between a 260 and a 270. That is relatively solid. And Whit Merrifield has been able to do a solid job recently with a 275. But I do take a look at this spot. I do think that the Yankees are going to be able to win this game, and they're going to be able to win this game convincingly. But the question becomes the total. Will the Yankees be able to score enough runs to be able to take this total over? I wound up saying this total personally at 8.3. So you take a look at what we've got right now. I am going to be taking this eight over, and I'm going to be taking the Yankees on the run line. 961, 962 on the betting where you've got the Houston Astros. They're going to be in the road face off against the Baltimore Orioles. One Ore Lopez is going to be going for the Orioles. Meanwhile, you've got Zach Greinke on the bump for the Astros. Astros are finding themselves as very sizable favorites here. Anywhere between minus 180 and minus 190. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Orioles, you're going to be getting anywhere between a plus 163 and a plus 172. Your total is between a 10 and 10 and a half. On the 10, over is minus 125. The under is plus 105. On the 10 and a half, under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 130. The over is anywhere between plus 110 and minus 105. For the Astros, it certainly has been a great year for this offense. And Zach Greinke has been able to do a lot of his best work on the road. You take a look at him so far this year. It has been a little bit of tough sledding whenever he's been out there in Houston. But on the road, he's got closer to a 2 ERA. Right. Certainly someone that is not going to get you a bunch of swings and misses. This is not the old Zach Granke, but still, he has been able to do a good job of being able to limit their contact. 1.1 home runs per nine innings, right around 1.9 walks per nine as well. So, you do like to see that on the road so far this year. 220 ERA and opponents are a 201 off of them. And for the Baltimore Orioles, I will say, the offense has been able to give you a tad bit of something, but having to just try to do this night in and night out is going to be tough because it just feels like your beer league softball team in which you've got a pitching staff that is giving up a whole bunch of runs. Keegan Aiken winds up only going four innings yesterday, so Trey Lincoln's had to be used. You've got Cesar Valdez, who's not doing a great job out of the bullpen. Cole Solzer, Tanner Scott, these guys have been solid, but really past that, you don't have a lot of redeeming qualities. And then you take a look at this bunch. Top of the lineup has been great. Cedric Mullins, 
right around a 375 on base. You've been able to get 13 home runs out of him. Freddie Galvis has been able to in the pocket of a 250. Ryan Mountcastle, Trey Boombo Mancini. Pair of guys hitting between a 260 and a 270 with a double digit amount of homers. Pedro Severino, Austin Ace in between a 220 and a 235. But then the drop off begins as you've got CV Wilkerson, Mikel Franco, DJ Stewart, Pavleka, Austin Wins, Chancisco, a bunch of guys hitting a 215 or lower, and then you take a look at the Houston Astros. You do have Alex Bregman currently on the injured list, but Abraham Toro's hitting a 260 for this team. That's amazing. And then Carlos Correa, Jordan Alvarez, Yuli Gurriel, Michael Brandley, Jose Altuve. A lineup of guys that are all hitting at least a 285 for this bunch. All these guys have on-base percentages north of a 355, and really, other than Brantley, all guys are on-base at 20-plus homers for the Houston Astros. They were able to get a very good start out of Jake Odorizzi, so the bullpen is relatively well-rested. You've been able to get some good innings out of Ryan Presley. Blake Taylor has been a little bit intermiss, but he's been able to give you a tad bit of something as well. You've got guys like Ralph Garza that are not necessarily too trustworthy, and when you take a look at the Orioles and what you're going to be able to get out of Mr. Ore Lopez, he has been giving up nearly two home runs per nine innings. He's been giving up nearly four walks per nine. I will say, first and second time through, the lineup has actually been solid. But three plus runs, given up in four out of his last five starts. He gets worn down. So I do think that this is a spot in which the Astros should be able to win this game. And he should be able to win this game convincingly. If you're taking a look at the run line right now, I am seeing this in the neighborhood of about a minus 125 to a minus 130. When it came to the Astros run line, I was willing to lay up to about a minus 125. So I'm going to wind up taking that. And with this total, set it at a 9.8 because I do think that Granke is going to be able to give a good start. So we're taking it under along with the Astros on the run line. 963, 964 on the betting board. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be playing mostly Boston Red Sox. Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be going for the Sox. Meanwhile, you've got Andrew Kittrich on the bump for the Rays. Rays are finding themselves very slight favorites here. Anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Red Sox, anywhere between even money and minus 110, your total is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8, over is minus 120. The under is even. On the 8.5, under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Over is anywhere between even and minus 110. For Eduardo Rodriguez, it certainly has been a rough go of it so far this year. He's got a north of 5 ERA. Now, I will say in 2019, he was actually leading the big leagues with regards to walks per game that was with regards to the American League among qualifying starters, but he has been able to do a much better job this year being able to rein it in with the command. He's given up right around two and a half fish walks per nine innings, but the problem is he's got a 147 whip because he's now giving up more than 11 hits per nine innings, 621 ERA, and despite that, he's got a 5-4 and four record because he's backed up by a lineup that has been absolutely amazing for the team. Xander Bogart, J.D. Martinez, pair of guys sitting above a 300 for this bunch. Alex Verdugo sitting at 290. He's got good pop in the bat. Rafa Devers has been able to do his part. 340 on base, 18 home runs, 57 RBI. I can even take a look at guys like Kevin Ploiecki, Christian Vasquez, Christian Arroyo. Even throw in there a guy that has been a little bit of a surprise in Hunter Renfro. These guys are all in between, I would say, about a 250 and a 265. And then you take a look at the bullpen of the Red Sox. I do expect regression with it, but Hedekazusao Mura has been very solid for this team. They're kicking the tires on Yexel Rios. I don't necessarily like him, but Adam Adovino, Darwinson Hernandez. These guys have been relatively solid. And then you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. Kittrich is going to be used as an opener. I believe that they've used him as an opener twice this year, 13 times throughout his career. And he has been absolutely tremendous. Buck 34 ERA is going to be the opener for Ryan Yarbrough. That if you take a look at him, I believe the record is now 24-5 and when he enters into games as a reliever. He is just so much better whenever he comes out of the bullpen. So I think that that is going to be massive so far this year for Yarbrough. 
413 ERA, a gentleman that wound up getting lit up in his last start against the Chicago White Sox, but prior to that, had given up approximately two runs in each out of his last three starts. Never necessarily been a demonstrative swing and miss guy, someone that's given you right around seven and a half punch outs per nine innings, but he's also backed up by guys like Diego Castillo, Pete Fairbanks. JP Fire Eyes, and so you've got a lot of good bullpen pieces there for the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a bunch in which they wound up having a little bit of a rough road trip getting swept by the Seattle Mariners, but still have a bunch of guys in this fold that, even though the batting average is not necessarily terrific, they do a great job of being able to get on base, like G Man Choi. 273 batting average, which is solid, but a 400 on base. Yandy Diaz hitting at 245, not a lot of power, but a 377 on base. Mike Zanino has been able to give you a double digit amount of homers. He's hitting a buck 93, but more likely 282 on base. Randy Odosodena. Hitting at 340 with regards to his on base 260 batting average. And then Oz Meadows has been able to supply the boom with 15 home runs. So I do like what they're bringing there. I do think that the Rays are going to be able to get back online. I know that they typically actually do a little bit better on the road than they do at home. But I do think that the Red Sox, despite the fact that they've got really one of the best road records out there in the big leagues, they so far this year are 23 and 12, are going to have struggles in this spot. I want to make the Rays a sizable favor because I do like Yarbrough being used as a little bit of a bulk guy. So we're going to be taking the raise in this spot, and with this total, I wound up setting it at 8.8, so we're going to be going over along with the raise. 965-966 on the betting board. The Walker Texas Rangers are going to be playing out the Oakland A's. Cole Irvin is going to be going for the A's. Jordan Lyles is going to be on the bump for the Texas Rangers. Total on this game is 9 under Zenny Wolfing, minus 115 to minus 120. The over Zenny Wolfing, even at minus 105. If you're taking a look at Oakland, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 141 and minus 145. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Texas, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 125 and plus 132. Hard to take a shot on Texas in this spot just because Jordan Lyles. He just has not been good all year long. How about a 568 ERA? And he has given up just under two home runs per nine innings at home so far this year. 652 ERA. He has had opponents hitting a 345 off of him. In 29 innings, he's given up seven home runs and 13 walks. Meanwhile, you take a look at Cole Irvin. He wound up having his struggles, but now the Oakland A's have been able to win each out of his last three starts. He did wind up giving up four runs in his last start against the LA Angels, so that's a little bit tough. And this is a guy that is just not going to get you swings and misses right around six points. 1 strikeouts per 9 innings, but you take a look at him, he does a good job of being able to keep things in control, right around 1.7 walks per 9 innings, and he's backed up by a pretty good lineup. Mark Canna, yes he can, I'll give you a double digit amount of homers and a 375 on base at the leadoff spot. How about Tony Kemp? He's now got a 400 on base. He has been solved for this team. All of a sudden, you've been able to get a little bit more of something out of Sean Murphy. He gets his ninth home run the season yesterday. That is an encouraging sign. Ramon Laureano along with Matt Olson in the middle of the lineup have been both able to give you a double-digit amount of homers. Headline by Matt Olson. 20 home runs so far this year, along with a 385 on base. Chad Pinder is back in the fold as well, and then you take a look at the Texas Rangers. Certainly have been able to get quite a bit out of Isaiah Canair-Falefa. Guy that's sitting right around 285 for the team, and got quite a few guys hitting in that pocket about a 245-ish with Nate Lowe and Willie Calhoun in that regard. Now, they are sending up some young guys. Andy Ibanez is someone that is hitting well below the Mendoza line. Eli White has not been able to get anything going all year long. Joey Gallo, 380 on base, but a guy that is hitting at 220. Now, Adolius Garcia, the fact that he's been able to get two home runs over the last seven days is big because he wound up going, I believe it was 28 days without one Kyle Gibson. He wound up being able to give you a good start yesterday, so you're going to have a lot more of your trustworthy bullpen pieces available in this game. Ian Kennedy, John King, these guys have been relatively solid. Taylor Hearn has actually been able to give you a little bit of something as well. That's better than Josh Shorbich, who winds up getting used up yesterday, Brett Geis, and then you take a look at the Oakland A's. They've actually got a better road ERA than they do at home, which is a little bit surprising because especially during the nighttime, Oakland plays a little bit more 
pitcher friendly, but you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Sergio Romo. It has honestly been great so far this year, but recently he's actually been halfway decent. Jake Diekman is someone I do like for this team. Diolius Carrera is someone that's got a 333 ERA. His metal petite has been able to come in, do a very solid job. I think that this is a situation in which you're going to wind up seeing Jordan Lyles get absolutely shelled. I want him saying the Oakland A's as a minus 144 favorite. If you're wanting to take a look at a run line, by the way, in this spot as well with the A's, I'm seeing as good as a plus 110. I would need a little bit more of a plus price to be able to take a shot there, but that was the place I was looking because I also did wind up saying this total 9.2. I do think that it's going to be high scoring, so we're going to be taking the over along with Oakland. 967, 968 on the betting board. You've got the Minnesota Twins playing OC Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati, and they are on to Wade Miley getting a road start against Bailey Ober of the Minnesota Twins. This is a relative pick game. If you're taking a look at the Minnesota Twins, you're going to be finding them as good as even money, as bad as minus 110. If you're taking a look at the Cincinnati Daddy Reds. You're going to be finding them as bad as a minus 113, as good as even money. With your total, it is 9.5 over and under our anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. In this spot, I did wind up saying the total at 8.7. I do recognize that it's getting a little bit more humid out there in the Midwest part of the country. I was talking about that a little bit earlier with Steve Buchanan, but you take a look at Bailey Ober. He has honestly been too terrific, but the bullpen behind him with guys like Jorge Alcala, Ansel Robles, Taylor Rogers, they have been able to pick it up at that. And then you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds. No question, this is a bullpen that they are not cutting it to say the least, not having TJ Antone out there has certainly hurt them. But you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Brad Brock, a guy that they did not wind up having at the beginning of the year. Going to be interesting to see if Josh Osich is able to give this team anything. Last year, he was just a hot mess. He had a 630 ADRA throughout his career. He's been a little bit of an up-and-down reliever, but you take a look at what you're able to get out of Wade Miley, a gentleman that has pitched a no-hitter so far this year, 288 ERA. He's done a good job of being able to limit the contact. He's given up five home runs in just under 70 innings, so that's something that you do take a look at, and this is a gentleman that on the road has been pretty comparable to at home. With his road ERA, it's hovering right around at 309. He's given up two home runs in 35 innings. Opponents carrying a buck 95 off of them. Now, you take a look at the Minnesota Twins. They are a team that is getting back a whole lot of their pieces. Nelson Cruz, he is back to his normal self. He winds up getting another homer yesterday, so that is absolutely massive. Luis Arias hitting a 280. He recently came back for the team. Byron Buxton, north of a 400 base. He just came back for the team along with Max Kepler. And then you've got guys like Alex Kurloff, Ore Palanco, Andrelton Simmons, Trevor Larnish. All hitting between a 250 and a 265. And then for the Cincinnati Reds, this is a team that they're scoring about two runs per game fewer on the road than they are at home, but you still have Jesse Winker and Cassianos. A pair of guys with north of a 385 on base, a pair of guys with a combined 30 home runs, and Aristides Aquino was able to go deep yesterday. We all remember him from a few years ago having that just monstrous month of August, Jonathan India. He's got 375 on base. He's actually been very good on the road so far this year. They have been able to kick the tires a little bit more on some of their younger guys as well. They are going to be looking out there in the outfield to Scott Heineman to be able to give them a little bit of something he got the start yesterday. Not necessarily been going well for him, but Joey Votto is someone that has been able to give this team a little bit of something ever since he wound up coming off the injured list. And with Bailey Ober, I just don't have a lot of faith in him in general. This is someone that has made a couple starts for the team. He's got right around a 371 ERA across 17 innings. It's only walked two, but he has given up three home runs. He is prone to hard contact, and that's where the Reds can really hurt you, which is why I wound up saying them as a minus 116 favorite. So we're going to be going with the Reds in the spot. Once again, set this all at 8.7, a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark, so we're going to be going under as well. 969-970 on the bang board. The Chicago White Sox to throw to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Tyler Anderson is going to be going for the Buccos. Lucas Gilito is going to be on the bump for the White Sox. So on this game is 
1.5 over and under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. White Sox are anywhere between a minus 165 and minus 171 favorite. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Pittsburgh, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 148 and plus 158. And for Pittsburgh, I would need more like a plus 175 to be able to take a shot here. If you're taking a look at the run line, by the way, with the Chicago White Sox, you're going to be finding this right around even money. And that's where I'm going to be looking because with the White Sox, well, this is a team that they're towards the bottom of the league with regards to home runs, and they are a little bit banged up. You've got Nick Madrigal, who is going to be out probably for the rest of the year. If he's not out for the rest of the year, it's going to be pretty darn close to it, but you still have some good sluggers that are doing a great job of being able to put bat to ball on with the White Sox. This is a team that I believe is now 29-5 and in their last 34 games against left-handed pitching, so that's big. You've got Jose Abreu hitting a little bit under a 250, but 53 RBI. He has been able to do a great job of being able to pound those out. Tim Anderson still hitting a little bit above a 295 for the team. Yoel Moncada is back. He's got a 400 on base. Brian Goodwin has been able to give you something 355 on base, and Yasmani Grandal continues to be one of the most interesting things I've ever seen. Buck 66 batting average, 385 on base, 377 slugging percentage. So I'm not necessarily sure what to make out of that. Jake Lamb has been able to get on base with right around a 350. And for the White Sox, you do have a relatively solid bullpen with the team. Zach Birdie is someone that has been getting innings recently for the team, right around a three-ish ERA. You've been able to get a whole lot of something out of guys like Jose Ruiz, along with William Hendricks as well. Matt Foster's had a little bit of a rough year. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, bullpen has actually been good. Richard Rodriguez is someone that I like. You've also been able to get good, solid innings out of Kyle. Kyle Crick, Jason Shreve has been able to come in. And for Tyler Anderson, this is someone that had a very good start to the year. He has been regressing recently, though. He has given up at least four runs and now four out of his last five starts, including giving up nine in that game in which the team wound up losing 20-1 against the Atlanta Braves. Has been a little bit better at home. You certainly have to give him a little bit of credit there, but it's not been necessarily the world's greatest ride from there. As you take a look at his home ERA, 379, actually halfway respectable. He is giving up eight home runs in 38 innings, so. And then when you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is a team in which they just don't have a lot of power. They're in the bottom five in pretty much every extra base hit slash home run category. Now, I will say, you've got a couple guys getting on base for you. Adam Frazier, Brian Reynolds. Both guys with North 385 on base. Cabrian Ace is able to 265. Should have one more home run than he does because he wound up forgetting to touch first base on one of them. But then you just take a look at the bottom of the lineup and it is not good. Cole Tucker, Phillip Evans, Kaye Tom, Kevin Newman, and then you throw in there, could I get a Polanco? All guys are in below a 215 for this bunch, so I just don't think that the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to get a lot going off of Lucas Giolito, who has been able to rein it in after a little bit of a rough start to begin the year, giving up three blocks per nine innings. Now, he is giving up more in the pocket of about 1.8 home runs per nine innings, but he has now given up three runs or fewer in now five out of his last six starts, so he's been able to do a relatively solid job there. Hasn't necessarily started on the road, at, but if you wind up throwing out that Boston Red Sox start, which was just absolutely terrible, by and large, he's been able to do a relatively solid job whenever he's been outside of Chicago, so this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the run line with the Sox. Also, I wound up setting this total at 8.2, so we're going to be taking the over along with the self-siders. 971-972 on the betting board. You've got the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays, in the road face-off against the Miami Marlins. One Sandy Alcantara is going to be going for the Miami Marlins. Meanwhile, Ross Rippling is on the bump for Toronto. If you're looking at the Blue Jays, you're going to be finding them in between a minus 103 and a minus 115. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Miami, 
Going to be finding them as good as a plus 104, as bad, I guess you can put it, as a minus 105. And your total on this game is 7.5. Over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 115. For Alcantara, he has had a very good year, and this is someone that is highly effective at home. He sometimes does give up a little bit too much of the deep ball whenever he's on the road, but he plays at one of the most pitcher-friendly ballparks out there in baseball. And for the year, has given up eight home runs in 93 and a third innings. You take a look at what he's been able to do at home, 238. ADRA. Only a 1-2 and two record, but he's given up 4 home runs in 45 and a third innings. Opponents are earning a buck 84 off of him, and then you take a look at Ross Stripling. He's been able to do a better job of reining it in recently, but still giving up about 1.7 home runs per 9 innings. He's only given up 3 home runs in his last 5 starts. For him, that's actually relatively solid. Has given up 2 runs or fewer in 4 out of his last 5, and this is, once again, a ballpark that is going to hold in a lot of fly balls, so that should be able to bode well for him. And he is backed up by a lineup that has been absolutely tremendous all year long. How about Boba Ship, Marcus Simeon? Pair of guys Hitting north of a 275 with at least 14 home runs. Randall Gritchick has been able to right around a 265 with 13 bombs. Lagero Jr. leading the American League in pretty much every single triple crown category, though. Joey Otani, I believe, has now tied him with regards to home runs, so got to give Joey his credit there. You've got Reese McGuire of Santiago Espino hitting right around 8275. You take a look at the bullpen of the Blue Jays. It is a little bit banged up. Anthony Castro was giving the team some solid innings. He's been really needing to do a little bit more now, though, because they are without AJ Cole. They're still without Julian Merriweather. He has been out for quite a while. Jordan Romano has been able to give you a couple innings. Ty Tice is now elsewhere for this team, and then you take a look at the Miami Marlins. This is a team in which the bullpen has been solid, in my opinion. You've got John Curtis with two S's, Adam Simber, even a guy like Ayimi Garcia. All these guys have been able to come in. They have been able to produce, and then you take a look at the Miami Marlins. You've got a team in which the power is certainly not there with them, but you do have Asus Aguiar, guy that's been able to give you north of 50 RBI, hitting a 270, 12 home runs. That is something that you do like the Marte Parte of Starling Marte. 425 on base. Not necessarily a lot of homers, but that's what you've got Adam Duvall for. 16 home runs, only a 216, but a 468 slugging, so that's going to help them out. Miguel Rojas is back in the fold as well. Jorge Alfaro has been able to give you right around a 280, so I take a look at the Miami Marlins. I do think that they're going to get a little bit of a better start here out of Sandy Alcantara, and I do think that even though it is a pitcher-friendly ballpark, that Stripling gives up a home run or two, so set this whole 8.1. I'm going to be taking it over, and I wound up saying the Marlins were on a minus-113 favorite, so we're going to be taking the plus price with them. 973-974 on the betting board. The Detroit Tigers are going to be playing also the St. Louis Cardinals. You don't mess with the Johan Oviedo is going to be going for the cards. Meanwhile, Tariq Skubal is going to be going on the bump for the Detroit Tigers. Tallens game is 9. Over is any work between minus 110 minus 115. Under is any work between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're taking a look at St. Louis, any work between minus 111 and minus 119 is the price here. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Tigers, any work between minus 101 and plus 108 is what you're getting on them. And for Skubal, he has been able to do a great job for this team. Three runs or fewer given up in pretty much each out of his last seven starts and two or fewer, I believe, in five of those. So he has been able to do a great job of holding down the fourth. His strike Scouts are really rising. We were talking about this with our good buddy Steve Buchanan. He has been able to do a great job of being able to generate those punch outs. Meanwhile, you take a look at Yoan Oviedo. I believe that in 13 career appearances, the St. Louis Cardinals are 2-11 when he winds up pitching. And one of those wins came against the Miami Marlins last week when they were benching literally everyone for Oviedo. Has given up 5 home runs in 35 and a third innings, 458 ERA, walks per 9, hovering right around a 4.6. So that's not necessarily too terrific. And you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a team that they've got quite a few guys getting on base. You don't necessarily have a lot of power outside of Tyler O'Neill. He has been able to give the team 15 home runs, 275 batting average with Nolan Arenado, Tommy Edmond, 
Dylan Carlson, along with Yadier Molina. All guys hitting between a 260 and a 271. Paul Goldschmidt now hitting a 255 for this team, along with Armando Sosa, who's hitting a 250. But for Paul DeYoung, he has been able to give this team some power. Eight home runs across 156 at bats, but he's hitting a buck 60 with a 251 on base. That's just not cutting it for this team with the Cardinals as well. You've got Alex Reyes, who's been absolutely amazing out of the bullpen. Genesis Cabrera, along Giovanni Gallegos, has been solid, but Ryan Elsley has not necessarily been able to get the job done. They're kicking the tires on Wade LeBlanc. Daniel Ponce de Leon, now a long reliever for this team. And you take a look at the Detroit Tigers, certainly this is not a great bullpen, and that's putting it very politely, but Brian Garcia has been able to give you a little bit of something. Gregory Soto has been able to do a good job in limited work as well. And then when you take a look at the Detroit Tigers, Jonathan Scope has been able to put it together for this team. A double-digit amount of formers. He's now hitting in the pocket of about a 275, so I like what he's bringing to the table for this team. Jamie or Candelario, right around a 345 on base, along with Robbie Grossman. Miguel Cabrera is now hitting a 220, so you're finally getting a little bit of something there. Now, I will say Isaac Paredes hitting about a buck 60 is not necessarily too terrific, but you're all of a sudden getting a little bit more on the Detroit Tigers. I do think that this is a game that it's going to be a little bit tougher to score in, but I do have a lot more faith in Tariq Skubal than I do in Johan Oviedo. I wound up saying the sold at 8.7, so we're going to be taking it under, and I wound up saying the Tigers as a slight favorite, so we're going to be riding with the Tigres. 975-976 on the winning board. You've got the Chicago Cubs playing us to the Cleveland Indians. Eli Morgan goes for the Windians. Meanwhile, you've got Kyle Hendricks, who's going to be on the bump for the Chicago Cubs. I think that this is a game in which Morgan was announced late, which is why I'm only seeing like a pair of numbers on this game. Cubs anywhere between minus 180 and minus 190 favorites. Meanwhile, the Indians anywhere between plus 166 and plus 172. Only Circa has a total up on this game since it is a Wrigley Field game. Over and under are both at minus 110 with a 9 being set there. And this is a spot in which I do think that the wind is going to be blowing in a very small tad. It's going to be a little bit more directional, so it's not necessarily going to be blowing out slash blowing in. I did wind up setting this total 9.3 because you do have a guy in Kyle Hendricks that he is giving up a bunch of home runs and he's going up against a guy in Eli Morgan that I don't have a lot of faith in him being able to hold down the fort for this team. You take a look at Eli Morgan. He's made a couple starts for the Cleveland Indians and He's got a 237 whip. I always say on this podcast, if your whip would be an impressive bench press number for a set of 10, that's not good. I wish I could bench 237 pounds. He's made two starts. Gave up six runs in two and two-thirds innings against the Toronto Blue Jays. Gave up three runs in three two-thirds innings against the Baltimore Orioles. So that's not great now. You take a look at the Cleveland Indians. You know what is great? The bullpen of this team. James Karantek has been amazing. Emmanuel Clays is able to give you some good innings as well. You take a look at the Indians. They did wind up having to use up Brian Shaw along with Nick Wickren yesterday, but you still have quite a few guys. They're going to be able to come out of the bullpen, do a solid job for the team. And then you take a look at the Cleveland Indians with regards to the lineup. You do have quite a few guys in between a 265 and a 275 all of a sudden. Jose along with Harold Ramirez and Amid Rosario all fall in that pocket. And with Jose Ramirez, he is a gentleman that has been able to give you 16 home runs north of 40 RBI. Bobby Bradley has come in. He's been able to hit very solidly. Now regression is starting to set in, but you've got now Bradley Zimmer, Josh Naylor, Rene Rivera hitting between a 240 and a 250. But the Chicago Cubs, they do such a good job at home going the yesterday 25 and 12 in home games. Patrick Wisdom getting a home run every seemingly eight at bats. Jack Peterson hitting nearly a 245 for the team. Chris Bryant nearly a 370 on base. Double digit amount of bombs for him. You've been able to get a whole lot of something out of Javi Bias when it comes to the power as well. Only about a 226. Not necessarily a guy that's going to walk a lot, but 16 home runs. He's been able to do a great job with that regard. You've also been able to get Wilson Contreras to be able to give you a lot of power along to Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo right around at 350 on base. Contreras 11 home runs. So I do like what you're getting there. And for the Chicago Cubs, Bullpen has been amazing for this team. Now, you did have to wind up using a couple pieces for this team. 
Keegan Thompson, Brad Wick are going to be out the full, but Craig Kimbrough looks like the Craig Kimbrough of old. I like what you're getting out of Andrew Chafin. This is a team that all of a sudden has a guy like a Rex Brothers pitching like with a 3 ERA. Ryan Tapera has been good as well. I do think that Kyle Hendricks, despite the fact that he does give up quite a bit of our contact, is going to be able to hold it down. I believe that the Cubs have won 5 out of his last 6 starts and in the spot. With regards to the money line, I made the Cubs more around a minus 182. If you're looking at the run line, this is currently only at Circa. I'm currently seeing that right around a minus 102. I was willing to lay up to a minus 107, so I'm going to be taking a look at that. Also, set this all at 9.3. So, looking at the Cubs run line along this total over 977, 978 on the bang board. You've got the San Francisco Giants, and they're going to be in the red face up against the LA Angels. Andrini is going to be going for the Angels. Meanwhile, Anthony D. Scalfani is going to be going for the Giants. When I was talking to Steve, I was seeing the Angels right in the neighborhood of about a minus 120. Now they are anywhere between a minus 120 and a minus 134. This is just insulting to the Giants who have been so good all year long. Meanwhile, if you are looking at the Giants, there's anywhere between a plus 110 and a plus 119. Your total on this game is 8.5 over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And we know where I'm going. I wound up saying the Giants is more around a minus 140 favorite. It's just absolutely absurd that nobody's buying in on this really good Giants team. Buster Posey has an on-base percentage that's hovering right around a 400 double-digit amount of homers. Brandon Crawford has been absolutely tremendous for this team. He's now got 16 home runs. He's hitting at 250. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of some of the lesser guys as well. Someone like a Mikey Sremski who wound up going deep twice in that series against the Philadelphia Phillies. A Lamont Wade Jr., Brandon Belt. All these guys have like north of a 335 on base. So they're just finding a way to be able to get up board. Steven Duger now hitting above a 300. Donovan Solano is able to hit a 270 as well. Then you take a look at the LA Angels. This is a team that they wound up entering into Monday having scored at least four runs in 14 out of their last 15 games. Shohei Otani, this is a man on fire right now. He has been able to give you 23 home runs, tied for the league lead, 270 batting average. Oh yeah, he pitches and he pitches well as well, so it has been absolutely amazing for this team. Jose Iglesias hitting in the pocket of about a 265. Jared Walsh, David Fletcher hitting between a 285 and a 290, and for Walsh, he has been able to supply 18 home runs. Anthony Rendon, he has been a waste of money all year long. 230 batting average and four home runs at 178 at-bats. My goodness. I don't know what they're paying him for, but I do know why they're paying Taylor Ward. He's been able to give you a 335 on base. He's been able to come along for the ride now for the Angels. Bullpen has been a little bit rough with this team. Rossi Iglesias is someone I still don't have a lot of faith in. Mike Myers has been up and down all year long now. Jose Suarez has been good in long relief, but then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants. Jarlon Garcia has really been able to give you some good innings recently. Not having out there, Caleb Barger is certainly earning them, but Dominique Leone is someone that I think is going to be able to give you some good innings south of a two ERA. Zach Liddell has been able to do a good job as well. And then when you take a look at Dee Scalfani, he has given up eight home runs in 80 and two-thirds innings, walks per nine innings, hovering right around 2.4. And then you take a look at what he's been able to do on the road, a 2-1-2 ERA, 3-1 record. He has given up five home runs in 46 and two-thirds innings, but opponents are a buck 81 off of him. He has been absolutely amazing. And Andreini, he's given up right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings. He's given up a little bit over three walks per nine. 4.45 ERA. He has been able to rein it in a little bit more recently. Three runs or fewer given up in each out of his last four starts, which is something that is very encouraging for the team. You take a look at what he's been able to do at home, though. North of a five ERA. Opponents are hitting at 239 off of him. And big thing is walks right around four and a half walks per nine innings. So this is a spot in which I'm going to be trusting in the San Francisco Giants. I just don't understand what the hate is on them at this point. And for the Giants, they're averaging more than five runs per game on the road. So I set this all at 9.3. So we're going to be digging the over along with the Giants. 
We're going to things up with 979-980 on the bang board. The Seattle Mariners are going to be playing host to the Colorado Rockies. Kyle Freeland is going to be going for the Rocks. Meanwhile, you got Chris Flexen, who's going to be on the bump for the Seattle Mariners. Mariners are finding themselves as sizable favorites here, and rightfully so, in my opinion. Minus 147 to minus 162 is the price there. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Rockies, that is any between plus 135 and plus 144. Your total on this game is anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8, over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even a minus 105. On the 8.5, over and under are both at minus 110. And for Chris Flexen, I do think that there is a little bit of something to his home and road splits. Now, I don't think that he's as good at home as a south of three ERA would indicate, but he still has been able to do a solid job of being able to limit the hard contact. Less than a home run given up per nine innings. He's been able to rate it in with the walks as well, right around 1.7-ish walks per nine innings. He's going up against a guy in Kyle Freeland, giving up nearly 4.7 walks per nine innings. Has given up nine home runs in 20 and two-thirds innings, rocking a 9.58 ERA. This is a gentleman that has given up at least five runs in each out of his last three starts. It has been absolutely atrocious for him. And he's backed up by a bullpen that I believe is dead last with regards to road ERA. Yancy Almonte, north of 8-10 ERA. Ben Bowden has not necessarily been able to give you a whole lot of fly. Lucas Gilbreath, that does not necessarily elicit confidence. I will say for the Seattle Mariners, when it comes to the batting average, they've got the worst one out there in the American League. But you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Shed Long, who wound up hitting that walk-off Grand Slam on Sunday against the Rays. You've got a guy in J.P. Crawford hitting a 280 for the team. Mitch Haniger has been able to give you a lot of something. 16 home runs, 41 RBI. He's hitting a 255. Ty France is hitting a 270 now. Taylor Trammell, Dylan Moore, Lewis Torrance, all guys hitting a 220 or lower along Kyle Seager. But then you take a look at the flip side for the Colorado Rockies. This is a team that they are just so different on the road. 5-27 and 27 on the road this year. And they've actually been one of the better home teams in all baseball so far this year. And you take a look at the way that this team is sitting as a collective away from home. It is just absolutely terrible. A 200 road batting average. You've been able to get Remy Altapia to hit away from home at a 278 clip. And Charlie Blackman is actually hitting at 300 with north of a 390 on base. But he's also got as many home runs on the road as I do with the Colorado Rockies. 16 home runs in 32 road games. That has not been great. Seattle is a little bit more pitcher-friendly out there in the nighttime as well. I will say, bullpen for them has not necessarily been terrific recently. You were able to get a lot of out of Will Vest along with Kendall Graveman at the beginning of the year. Since coming off the injured list, they have not necessarily been themselves. Vinny Natali is now going to be getting some innings for the team as well. That's interesting. Hector Santiago, Paul Seawalt are able to give you a little bit of something as well, but I just think that this is a spot in which you got to continue to fade the Colorado Rockies until further notice on the road. They are 5-27 and on the road, which is why I'm going to be taking a look at the Mariners in this spot. If you're taking a look at the Mariners' run line, by the way, I'm finding that as a plus 130. I think that there's a great chance that Kyle Freeland gives up a whole bunch of runs once again. So we're going to be taking that run line. Also set this all at 8.5. So we're going to be taking the over along with that Seattle run line. And that wraps things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Tuesday. Big thanks to Steve Buchanan of DraftKings for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question for this podcast, you got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUNIT underscore one Keep in mind the letters CM. They mean does not matter. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send in your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. I will be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow.